It's time for Tales of Terror, only on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated R and is recommended restricted for anyone under the age of 17. Alas, of what kind is that place of wailing and gnashing teeth at which even Satan shudders? Oh, woe. What kind of place is it where the unsleeping worm dies not? What dread misery to be sent into outer darkness? Saint Ephraim of Syria. Dusk fell upon Valdehav like a final breath, rolling over its hills and forests before the day even knew it was over. Shadows stretched across the churned-up fields, slowly merging as they crept up on the town. The muddy pools of water along the riverbanks had started to dry, and workers from the town had broken up the dams that formed around them, letting the waters run freely towards unfair sluice-gate once more. Pierre sat with Rami atop the Priory's eastern ramparts and watched as the last rays of sun faded from the valley. The old man rummaged through the folds of his robes, retrieving a small pouch from within. He produced a pipe from another pocket and began the task of stuffing it while Rami paced in front of him. You suspect her then? He asked tugging experimentally at his pipe. Satisfied that it wasn't packed too tightly, he cupped his bowl and lit a match against the wind. A tendril of blue smoke coiled out from his mouth before it was dispersed by a stiff breeze coming from the mountains. Who else? Rami waved a hand at the town below, not missing a step as she considered Pierre's question. These people are sick, and they don't even know it yet. They all bear the same signs. The red eyes and pale skin, maddening dreams and suicidal thoughts. But that is merely a symptom of the real ailment that afflicts them. A sickening of the soul. I've seen it before, though never like this. But the prioress... Pierre sighed into his pipe, nearly spluttering on the harsh tobacco. She knew about the boy. Why else would she have forbidden her sisters from performing last rites? She didn't want them to see what had become of the child. And then there is her skin. How is it that she remains so flush with life while others become feverish and sick? She's feeding off of it. Off of this place. Aye, said Pierre, scratching at his chin. What you say makes sense, though it saddens me to say. But who is she? Some apprentice to the hag who cursed this place? Or another member of her coven? We must consider that she may not be acting alone. I do not know, Rami admitted. 
She came to a stop in front of Pierre and turned to stare down at the Priory grounds. But whoever she is, she wields incredible power and her roots are deep in this place. To turn the land into a hellscape each night, that requires more than just magic. If she is a witch, then she is one who has the devil's allegiance. And that is not to be trifled with. Pierre followed her gaze down into the yard below. Figures moved across the grass, making for the great hall, or completing their final chores before night truly fell upon them. Others worked along the part of the river that coursed beneath the priory's walls, clearing up the last of the debris left by the storm. It would not be long before the dinner bell rang, summoning them for supper. The friar's belly groaned at the thought. He still hadn't eaten. What is to be done? He said, lifting his gaze back up to stare at his ward. Should we not consider, perhaps, calling upon the Inquisition for this matter? I know you do not believe in their... They will burn half the town and imprison the rest in their efforts to sanctify this place. They will persecute the innocent and turn unfair into the very hellscape that resides beyond its walls. Rami spun on her heels, her hands clenched at her sides. Her eyes seemed to glow for a second, even as the light around them finally faded. No, Pierre. It is not the Inquisition who shall be called upon to free these people from the demons who haunt them. It is we. I... said Pierre, taking a deep drag of his pipe and letting the smoke spill out along the walls. I thought you might say that. That night, they watched from the Priory Wars as the curse of Valdehav manifested itself once more. Only this time, they did not hide away from the sight. Remy was adamant that they would watch the display in full in the hopes that it might reveal some detail about how and why such a thing had come to be. Pierre had reluctantly agreed to join her, and so it was that he found himself on the parapets watching as the valley was transformed into a scene from out of Virgil's Aeneid. Shapes that affronted the eyes emerged from the forest, walking in time to the mournful choir that heralded their arrival. Cries of pain and of pleasure followed the shadows out from the gloom and were soon accompanied by the slow reverberating toll of a drum. If Pierre focused... He thought he could just make out what sounded like chains being dragged across stone. But the sound made his skin crawl, and he tried his best to ignore it. Just as his eyes were starting to adjust to the gloom, a blinding red light tore across the valley, forcing him to blink away. It was like staring into a furnace, and even with his eyes shut, the horrible glow remained. There was a cracking sound, a splitting of the world, and then a distant horn blew into the night. Or was it another cry? He couldn't tell. The floor beneath his feet started to rumble, 
and he was forced to lean against the parapet, shielding his eyes while he waited for it to pass, hoping that it would pass. Just when he thought the masonry would surely crack and the stones tumble out from beneath him, the quake ended. Pierre opened his eyes hesitantly, slowly blinking as he tested the brightness. The world had taken on a velvety tinge, and shades of red of varying intensity and vicissitudes now covered the valley. In places, it seemed like pools of blood had replaced the air, hovering in clotted balls that made Pierre's stomach churn. A torrent of fire now existed where the river had once flowed, and coursed at no lesser speed before fading away at the foot of Unfair's wall. The forest seemed to blur in the distance, shadows upon shadows, ill-defined shapes on the horizon. But it was the field that drew Pierre's attention, and then his breath away. Black pits covered the earth like wounds, stinking holes that vomited noxious fumes. They shuddered as they belched out the fetid air, quivering and reforming as they imposed themselves upon the world. Around them, gibbet posts had been erected or else grown from the ground itself. Scores of them had emerged and littered the fields like bales of hay after a successful harvest. But of course there hadn't been any harvests, and wouldn't be any until the valley was purged of the evil that had stirred beneath it. Pierre squinted at the nearest cage. It was a fair distance, but he thought he could see the outlines of a shape, of a figure contained within. Whoever had raised the fires of hell had brought the damned along with it. The posts grew denser as they neared the centre of the field, laid out in concentric circles in some blasphemous mimicry of the town itself. But in place of the priory and its tower, another pit had formed. This one was larger than the others and spat out a green mist of unknowable origin. As Pierre watched, something began to emerge from within the toxic vapours. Some abominable form, which became many, and then myriad, as they were spewed out from the gaping womb of the earth. Black wings beat against thick leathery skins. Hooked talons pushed off against the edge of the pit, propelling wicked bodies into the air until the sky was momentarily hidden from sight. The things swarmed like bats clustering together until they formed a great spiralling pillar, or perhaps a tower to mirror that of the priories in the centre of Unfair. A horrible screeching followed their flight, and glowing yellow eyes cut through the haze that surrounded the pit. Dear monks, Pierre murmured, reaching for the crucifix that rested beneath the fold of his robe. By what right do they have to walk the earth when the Lord himself has condemned them to the fires beneath? Remy shook her head, her eyes still fixed on the formation of flesh and talons. It is as I feared. A bargain has been struck between the devil and the witch, 
This is no mere summoning, but a rift between our world and the one beneath. Pierre flinched as his ward's eyes snapped to meet his. They flickered with energy, with a light that not even the abyssal red tinge could subdue. But there was something else in her eyes now, too. Rage. It is like a wound, she said. If it goes untreated, it will only grow more rotten, until the only cure is amputation. How do you amputate a whole valley? Pierre asked, bemused. With fire. The next morning, Pierre and Remy left the priory before the breakfast bell and headed back into town. Their destination was Unfair's solitary archive. Their purpose, to examine the records of the first witch trial and anything they could find relating to the hellscape that dominated Valdehave by night. Sister Lucille had given them directions, but was unable to lead them herself due to other duties. She had told them to be careful, scribbled down an address, and left the friar on his ward to navigate their way through the narrow roads in the morning mist. The first pale-faced townsfolk had just started to emerge from their homes when Pierre and Remy arrived at the archives. Those who had poked their heads out stared at the friar on his ward with unveiled disdain, and it was with a sense of relief that Pierre pushed open the door to the archives and clicked it shut behind them. Well, he said, looking about the gloomy lobby. It appears Sister Lucille was correct about the people of Unfair being less than welcoming. They do not trust us, said Remy, walking ahead of him. And after what they have seen, I cannot blame them. Can you? Pierre shook his head. Memories of the nightmarish vision he had witnessed the night before still fresh in his mind. The lobby widened into another pair of rooms, with a cylindrical iron staircase in the middle of its floor that led, presumably, to further rooms above and below. Pierre let out a soft sigh as he took in the archives. Row upon row of shelves lined the walls, with boxes of unorganised books and ledgers crowding the space between them. A thin layer of dust covered the nearest shelf, and the Franciscan frowned as he ran a hand across its surface, before staring down at his fingers and groaning. We may not find what we're looking for here. Not in this disorganised... well, not in this mess. The sound of a throat being cleared made Pierre glance up guiltily. A frail-looking man had appeared from behind one of the shelves and was staring at the friar with an expression that indicated his last words had not gone unheard. Pierre gave him an embarrassed smile as he dusted off his palms, wiping them clean against his robes. The archivist was old and thin, with wiry grey hair that reached to his shoulders. He wore a simple tunic that started to fray at the sleeves, and his hands were covered in the same dust that Pierre had just wiped from his own. 
The archives would be less of a mess if I had more hands to help me with them. You wouldn't happen to be those hands, would you? No, I thought not. What is it that I can help you with, then? Ignore my friend. Sometimes he does not know how to keep his tongue from talking about things he does not understand. Indeed, said the archivist, his expression softening. Not an uncommon habit, I'm afraid. No. What is it that you were looking for? Perhaps I might be of some help. This mess, after all, is my own. Pierre shrunk into his robes, but met the archivist's gaze when it fell upon him. His eyes were strangely young, with flecks of grey and blue, and not a little humour in them. We're looking for the records of a trial, and perhaps any writings you may have on the events that preceded it. The archivist rubbed the cleft in his chin with a forefinger, wrinkling a brow. That shouldn't be too hard to find. We haven't had many of those here. Magistrates are a rarity this far north, and we like to settle things amongst ourselves most times anyway. What was the name of the accused? Remy hesitated, but the pause was so brief that only Pierre noticed. We would like to see the transcripts from the witch trial, if you have them, and anything relating to that time in the valley. Which one? Asked the archivist, seemingly untroubled by the request. There was more than one? Pierre racked his brain trying to remember any mention of a second trial. But neither Sister Lucille nor Margot had mentioned it. Oh, yes, said the archivist. We have been unfortunate enough to witness two witch trials in our humble history. They happened in quick succession, with only the second trial reaching a verdict. And then there was the burning. A nasty business. Who was the first accused? Remy asked. I couldn't tell you, said the archivist with a shrug. The first trial was conducted in the magistrate's chambers, and the identity of the accused never revealed. It's a strange thing, I'll grant you, but not so strange if you consider some of the older families that live in these parts. They would have paid a pretty penny to keep their own from the public scrutiny, even if they couldn't thwart the law itself. If the name were mentioned, it would have been redacted from the court records. We would like to see them both, said Remy, Pierre nodding beside her. And any records you might have about the execution, too. As you wish. The archivist turned on his heels, waving a hand at them to follow him between the crowded shelves. There isn't much, I'm afraid, he said, looking back over his shoulder. From what I can recall, many of the records were returned to Rames with the magistrate. He left in a hurry after the burning. Perhaps the final words of the witch spurred his haste, or else he had a sense of the horrors that were to come. But he left some notes from the proceedings behind in his rush to leave our poor town. The archivist turned right at the end of the row of books, before coming to a stop in front of a large cabinet in the corner of the room. 
he tugged open one of its drawers and began sifting through a stack of papers. His fingers moved agilely through the reports, and Pierre was reminded of the legs of a spider scuttling over the pages. The archivist hummed beneath his breath while he searched, a tuneless song that only stopped when he retrieved a pair of thin leather-bound ledgers from the drawer. Ah. That's it. Remy glanced back into the cabinet drawer, but the archivist pushed it closed before she could examine its contents. As I said, there isn't much. If you want to read the full records, you will have to visit the archives in Reims. I see, said Remy, accepting the preferred ledgers. They fit comfortably in her one hand, and Pierre saw the look of disappointment cross her face. It's a start, he said, trying his best not to sound disappointed himself. And it might be all we need. It might, Remy agreed, moving to one of the reading desks. She nodded her thanks to the archivist and dropped the ledgers onto the table. There's only one way to find out. The magistrate's notes, it turned out, were extensive and highly detailed. He had recorded everything, from the number of audience in attendance to the trials, to the nature of his breakfast and the impact it had on his disposition that day. There were other notes too, bulletins and notices from the week of the trial that had been folded into the ledgers, as well as letters from the town heads requesting the magistrate's assistance. Their pleas had been desperate, referring to the great evil that has befallen us, the servant of the dark that feeds upon our will, a sallow sickness that has taken them, of no earthly origin. Other such letters made mention of finding the devil's print upon the land and seeing the cloven sign. Most learned men would have scoffed at such things. But Pierre had heard much, had seen much in his years with Remy and before. Now he knew better than to dismiss such claims offhand. The friar scanned the page before him, scrolling quickly past the magistrate's musings to his recording of the morning's court proceedings. The man had been thorough, but had the habit of interposing his own reflections on facts he otherwise might not have. And much to Pierre's annoyance, the magistrate had been scrupulous in excising the accused's name from the records. Nevertheless, he had resigned himself to reading through the document from cover to cover, in the hopes he might be able to piece together some picture of the accused. He was going through a particularly vivid testimony, when his brow began to furrow, turning into a sharp V that made him look fiercer than he was. After a moment, he thumbed the page to keep his place and looked across the table to Remy. Listen to this, he said, not waiting to see if he had her attention. I saw her that night, you see. She was up to her knees in filth, digging through the graves like a resurrectionist. I had me club out as soon as I caught sight of her, but even then, I knew there was something wrong. 
Her eyes glowed inside her skull like the very pits of hell. Then there was the smell. I don't now know if it came from the witch or from the open casket she stood over, but the grave rot was enough to make me wretch. That was when the thing inside the casket rose up beside her like it were the rapture or something. When I saw its black wings and fiery maw, I must confess that I did run. Remy's eyes narrowed as she listened to the account, and she crossed her arms as the friar finished reading. That was from the night watchman who first caught sight of the witch, said Pierre, looking up from the page. The next morning, when he returned to the cemetery with the rest of the guard, they could find no sign that the graves had been tampered with and nothing of the witch. What do you make of that? I'm not sure, Rami confessed. Somehow she is able to raise a hellscape beyond our fair's walls, but she cannot repeat the process within, and so must rely on whatever blasphemous rituals to try and bring about this summoning. It sounds like she succeeded. And she's trying it again. Remy ground her teeth, her jaw clenching tight as she stared back down at her own ledger. The boy we found was only halfway formed, but she intended turning him into a devil fool. What havoc it would sow released upon these hapless folk, while the witch works her spells against their vigour, draining the last of their health for whatever foul pursuit she has in store. If it is the prioress... The friar shook his head, still unable to believe that such a charming soul could harbour such wicked intent. But he knew witches. Half of their power lay in deceiving, and he would not allow himself to be blinkered to her cruelty. If it is her, then we will do what needs to be done, said Remy, turning the page. We will save this place from the devil's designs and send her back to his domain. Pierre massaged his temples and stared back down at his journal. The magistrate's scrawling text washed across the pages, becoming more detailed as the trial proceeded. Pierre blinked. His eyes had begun to ache from the poor light they were reading by, and still they were no closer to discovering the identity of the first accused. At least it was warm, he thought, leaning back into the chair. And comfortable. Yes. His eyes had just started to droop when Remy let out a triumphant whoop and shot up from her chair. The shock at the sudden movement nearly sent Pierre sprawling out of his own seat, and he stared up at her in startled bemusement. I think I found it, said Remy, waving the pages of the open journal at her surprised friend. I knew there'd be something here. The magistrate could not have been so meticulous to have erased all mention of the accused. What is it? Pierre sat up straight, suddenly alert. A name? Is it the Prioress Margot? No, not a name, said Remy. A breadcrumb, or the final piece in our puzzle. It is enough, though. Look. She dropped the journal down in front of Pierre and pressed a finger on a passage halfway down the page. 
The friar leaned forward over the book and quickly scanned its contents, his eyes narrowing as he read the text. He was familiar with the magistrate's conjugations, and the excerpt was less formal in tone than his judicial commentary. It was a footnote, really. A passing note on an event that the magistrate had already decided was unworthy of more than the briefest contemplation, perhaps given that at the time of writing, the man already knew the woman was to be excused from trial. Upon my arrival, Pierre read, I was informed by the headsman that the guilty party had already been apprehended and that my presence was but a mere formality, as was the trial itself. A mere formality? Ha! Tired from my trip and annoyed with the flippancy of my hosts, my temper only grew from poor to worse when I discovered that the accused had already been beaten near to death by her captors. If she had passed away before I had given my verdict, there would have been hell to pay. Perhaps a poor choice of words, given the events that followed. Nevertheless, as it so happened, the girl survived her captor's administrations, and I deemed her fit to stand before me. Tradition and the mandates of the law dictate that such a thing be a public affair. But before the trial was set to commence, I was petitioned by a body I could not refuse. The Holy Church itself, come to seek satisfaction from me, a humble servant of the state. No doubt interested in keeping their name from such a business, I could not deny their request, even though a certain amount of trepidation filled me at the prospect. I had already read some of the testimony to be leveled against her, accusations of grave robbery, of pagan rituals, and worship most foul. And even, though I do not believe it myself, those who claim to have seen her consort with a familiar, a serpentine shape that disappeared the moment it was seen. But the church cannot be denied, not even in matters such as this. And so it was that the young sister from the priory was to be trialed within my quarters, with only myself and the witnesses present. Remy's eyes were fixed on him when he looked up from the journal, an expectant look on her face. Do you see? Yes, said Pierre, seeing no point in denying the truth any longer. A young sister, from the priory, no doubt. It can only be her. It can only be the prioress Margot. been listening to His Black Tongue by Mitchell Luty, performed by Anna Capraro and Scott Miller. Production copyright for Sentinel Creatives.
No one knows where he comes from. Some say he's not a man. Some say he's a force. Not of nature, but of something more primal than that. He's the acid taste of vengeance you can't quite swallow down in a town that's besieged by fear an unbreathed regret. Others say he was a man who wouldn't rest until all the pain in the world was fed back to those who minded out of others. He's only known by one name. From county to county, in the hours past dawn, and in the haze-filled air, you'll see him walking towards you if you keep secrets. If you harm folks, he's the drifter, and he won't stop till sorrow's end. A weird western series from Jeffrey Billard starring The Drifter. From Audio Groovecats and the Amigo Collective. Coming 2023, only on Mutual, with Episode 1, Before a Wind.